by the way, on these dream big things up here, the big red check marks, you're going to be hearing some of those testimonies here in a couple of three weeks. So just keep your seatbelt fastened. Uh, we're going to get to it, and all of that's strategic and part of the plan. So um, we're going to keep preaching. You want to be here this Sunday, and you want to be here the following Sunday. If you have plans the following Sunday to, to be out of town, well, you need to change it. Uh, pastor will be preaching that Sunday morning, and uh, I'm ready. All ready. Wasn't kids' crusade this weekend, you'd hear it this Sunday. So just plan to be here the next two Sundays in a row for sure, and uh, you won't regret that decision, I can promise you. Thank the Lord. Uh, we've been doing a series for the past several weeks on dreaming when you're broken. And uh, oftentimes, circumstances, situations in life, we allow those things to take our dreaming away. What's the use, we say? What's the point, we say? We've got all this stuff that's happened. We'll never be able to work through it. We'll never be able to come at what's the point in dreaming. I'm showing you biblically that God can restore you back to a place where you can be a dreamer. You can have hope in life. You can have hope in your future. Um, I believe this past Sunday service went a long ways to help a lot of people realize that you've allowed your circumstance to beat you to death when you didn't have to. God was just as real during that circumstance as he is now. And he wants to help you. Uh, he wants to give you the desires of your heart. So let's finish last Wednesday night's Bible study. Our text was found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's something I want you to notice about this beatitude uh, that Jesus gave that day on the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> he was inviting you to come voluntarily. If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, he said. You come voluntarily. He's not going to say, oh, she's hungry and thirsty. Here, I'm just going to ram something down her throat. He didn't say that. If you want it, you come get it. It's an invitation. Not threatening, not to be afraid of, none of those kind of things. If you want it, you come and pour, take of it. So our fifth principle that uh, we give you a principle with each study on Wednesday night. So last Wednesday night we introduced our fifth principle, which is voluntarily submit. Voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Now, I used the word defect last Wednesday night a couple of times, but it's, it's not a good word. I don't particularly like that word. Most of us here tonight, if there's issues that we struggle with, if there's mentalities that we struggle with, perspective that we struggle with, it's usually because something happened to us somewhere in the past, and... and it's baggage. It's, it's a weight. It's just something negative. It's a barrier. It's a blockade. So when I use the word defect, I don't mean anybody was born what, lacking, less than average, below normal, all that. I don't mean it that way. I mean it to indicate that things happen and it reduces us to a place we don't want to be, but we don't always have the strength to reach up and pull ourselves up either. So I want, to, I want to talk to you tonight about voluntarily submitting to every change, every change 
every change that God would seek to make in your life. Paul said in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You do this voluntarily. It's voluntarily. God's not going to make you do it. But you voluntarily present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. This is where you make the changes that God wants to make. You're willing to make those changes, whatever they are. Be not transformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. You begin to learn to think different. You learn to think different. So last week, and I'm not going to reteach this lesson, but to get us to the, to the latter part of it tonight uh, that I want to finish, is where do my character defects come from? And we listed three sources last Wednesday night. Number one is chromosomes. That's your mom and dad. They gave theirs to you whether you wanted them or not. Nobody asked you, did you want your dad's big head like my kids got? <clears throat> or, you know, your, your mama's whatever, big ears. No, nobody asked you what part of your parents you wanted. Just when you were conceived, there was chromosomes, some 23,000 from each parent that went into you, and here we are. <laughs> you might as well like it. You ain't going to change it, so there you go. Uh, but this explains oftentimes your predisposition towards certain problems, but it doesn't excuse your sin. You can say, well, I'm like my, one of my parents and I'm real weak in this area. That doesn't excuse sinning. Neither does it excuse or give you a free pass from becoming what God wants you to be. The second thing that can contribute to character defects, if you will, is your circumstances. A lot of your character defects are simply self-defeating attempts to meet unmet needs. A lot of our character defects are simply self-defeating attempts to meet unmet needs. Uh, I went through a long thing last Wednesday night about people that crave attention. Uh, they, they want to be respected, but they don't know how to get it, so what they do is they demand attention. And then a lot of people have a legitimate need for love, and oftentimes when they become an adult, they choose the sex route in order to get it. And some people that want security go after materialism. So you have to understand what your needs are and how those needs as a person should be met. The third thing that contributes to problem areas in our life is the choices we make. So if you choose to do something long enough, it becomes a habit. And once it becomes a habit, you get stuck. Habits are hard to break. Somebody said old habits die hard. You can't teach an old dog new tricks, all of that kind of thing. Um, choices will do that. Character defects are often positive qualities taken to an extreme over time because they are misused. So we have to understand that. So there's things that, the reason it's so hard to change our lives is because we've had these things wrong with us for so long, we've gotten accustomed to it. That's just who we are. The second thing is because we identify with them, and a lot of people believe that if I give up a bad habit or a bad character trait, then people aren't going to like me anymore. I won't be accepted. They won't even know who I am. My identity changes. Actually, what you have to understand is people will respect you a whole lot more 
and they'll probably like the better new you even more than they like you now. The other reason people pursue defects in their life that we talked about last Wednesday night is because to a lot of people, bad character traits have a payoff. And so they're willing to do whatever it is they have to do to get attention, to be loved, to find security, to be respected, and what have you. They think that's what does it. And so they'll, they'll keep manifesting a bad trait, a bad character trait, because they're getting payoff from people around them. And that's certainly a misnomer. Um, the devil will discourage you from changing to be better, tell you you can't do it. He'll talk you out of it. So I asked the question last Wednesday night, how do I cooperate with God's change process? If God wants to make me a better person, if he wants to make me more faithful, if he wants to make me more punctual, if he wants to make me more kind, more patient, and so on, how do I cooperate with God's change process? And so that brings us to where we are tonight. Seven ways that you can cooperate with God to change these things about you that you don't like, that you're not happy with, that you know you could be better. And this doesn't matter how old or young we are tonight. If you want to, if you want to be a better person, if you want to be better in the kingdom of God, you can be. And so I'm going to give you seven ways that you can uh, successfully become what God wants you to be. This isn't generic. It has more to do with the mind and habits and so on. I'm not teaching necessarily spiritual things tonight. It's mental. It's the renewing of your mind. Does everybody understand that? You change the way you think. All right. The Bible said, first of all, seven ways to change your thinking. Number one is you focus on changing one defect at a time. If there's something about you you don't like. Now, this isn't always based based on the opinion of your spouse or your children, or your parents, or people you work with. You look in the mirror and you say, you know what, I really don't like this part of me too much. And I'm going to change it. I'm going to change it. I've been through this process, and it works. I'm a living, breathing example of how this process can work. The Bible said in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 24, Wisdom is before him that hath understanding. So if you have the ability to understand what I'm presenting to you tonight, if you're smart enough, mature enough, um, educated enough, if you will, if it makes sense to you, the Bible said there's wisdom in people that has the ability to understand. And you begin understanding yourself. You put yourself under the microscope and say, look, this is one area of my life that I don't particularly care for, and I'm going to work on changing it. Mine, when I was much younger, and I've shared this story many times, but I was, I was moody and stayed, would, would just get depressed like that and for no reason. And I've shared some of that with you, and I changed that. I disciplined myself to quit doing that. And now it's, it's not an issue with me anymore like it was. It didn't happen overnight, and sometimes I fell off the wagon, but I did it. So the first thing you want to do is focus on changing one defect at a time. Don't look at yourself and say, you know, I'm, I'm depressed all the time, I'm lonely, I'm overweight, I'm mean, 
um, and just come up with a list of 28 things. It's overwhelming and it will envelop you. You pick the one that bothers you the most, the one that you're most concerned about the most. You pick that one. And then you go for it and you work on it. And every day you make progress, you rejoice over that progress. You celebrate that progress because it will encourage you the next day to continue. If you fall off the wagon, don't worry about it. Pick yourself up and say, I'm going to start over. I'm going to reset and start over, and I'm going to keep on going. So, <clears throat> so you may say, Pastor, this series on dreaming when you're broken is great, but you know I've got 50 things in my life that I'd like to change. And by the way, this doesn't include your spouse. You don't change your spouse. If that's part of the problem, deal with it. But you don't go trade him or her in on a different model. Okay, does everybody understand? Um, so just do one thing at a time. So you, you'll, you'll get overwhelmed and discouraged if you do it uh, trying to take on everything at one time. So <clears throat> don't just pray to God. Listen to pastor. Don't just pray to God, God, I'd like to be a better person. That in itself is a form of self-denial. You, you, you know that you could be a better person, but you just don't want to admit, not even to God, what the problem is or what areas I'd like to be a better person in and so on. So this in itself can be denial. You have to be specific with God. God, this is what I want to work on I know you are talking to me about it, and this is an area of my life, this is a part of my character, this is a part of my personality that I want to work on. And God, I'm asking you to help me. I want you to empower me. So you go to God in prayer, and you let Him show you which of these long list of things, if God disagrees with you, you allow Him to show you the one that's most damaging in your life, and let Him start working on that one first. You go one Item on your list at a time. I hope you people don't feel aloof to this and say, I don't really get this, Brother Murphy, because every person in this room has the ability to be better. There ain't nobody here tonight that's arrived. I didn't see anybody come in here with angel wings sprouting out your shoulder blades and a halo over your head. We have, we have ways that we can be better, and you're never too old to start. I don't want anybody here to think, well, you know, I'm 402 years old, Brother Murphy, and, you know, it's just no one here is, is we can all be better. We can all do better. Everybody say amen. So you start, you ask God to help you pick the one that is the most detrimental to your relationship with Him because as your relationship with Him gets better, just as a byproduct of that, your relationship with everyone else is going to be better. If, 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 if the one thing that God wants you to work on is the most hindering to your success, you get that worked out, you're going to be more successful and everybody will be happy. Do you understand? The more you get better, the more God likes it and the more everybody else around you likes it. But when you want to stay this cantankerous old goat, that nobody can get along with, nobody can talk to, nobody can socialize with, nobody can be around you. You find something wrong with everybody, everything that goes on in church, everything that goes on on the job, everything. And I know people like that. They live to find something wrong with somebody else. And that's an extreme example. And all of us are guilty to some degree of some measure of that. 
I know people that gloat over negative reports. They just can't wait to hear the phone ring and somebody say, I'm just, I've got cancer and I've got four days to live. And they're like, woohoo, I've got something to talk about now. I've got some fresh stuff here to go with now. I can't wait to tell all of my friends how horrible someone else is physically. You live for that. Their source of inspiration is the obituary section of the newspaper. Am I getting my point across or do I need to keep on, I keep on elaborating? We need to understand that when you want to dream and you want things to happen in your life, it begins with you. God don't have to change and really the church don't have to change. Joseph was a dreamer in spite of his brothers. As a matter of fact, Joseph got sold as a slave into another country and he was still a dreamer. In prison he was a dreamer. When he was being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he was still a dreamer. That's what I'm trying to say to you tonight. That's what I want you to understand. Don't think, boy, this... Man, he is really nailing so-and-so across the aisle for me right now. No, I'm not. I'm nailing you because you just thought that. That's the reason I'm teaching this. So we quit thinking like that. We want to be better. Don't worry about the other guy. Worry about you and be the best you can be in the kingdom of God. You want to be a dreamer? You have to change the way you think. And I'm assaulted by negative stuff all the time. I talked to somebody today on the phone. I called him and said, hey, man, you're not going to believe what happened. Da, 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 da. And they immediately countered right back with a long, sad story. Pastors are often the place where people go with their sad story. And I get that, and I accept that. But, boy, it sure is nice once in a while when somebody calls and says, hey, man, there's somebody I've been witnessing to, and they prayed through the Holy Ghost a couple of days ago. That's awesome. That happened today, by the way. So you have to focus on the main thing that's the main stumbling block between, mainly between you and God. You get that fixed and then you can proceed. Number two is you want to focus on one, focus on victory one day at a time. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. You take it one day at a time. You're not going to do this massive change thing. Let me tell you another reason I'm teaching this Bible. I, I feel like I need to justify what I'm teaching you right now. And I don't know why, but I'm feeling it. I know people. I know them very, very well that got stuck years ago. And they've never come out of it. They don't know anything about liberty and worship. They don't know anything about liberty and living. They're grudge toters. They're people haters. They don't mind gossiping. They don't mind tearing you down. People that are supposed to be born again, that'll stand up in church and say, hey, I was born again and give you the day and the time that it happened. And this is what I'm talking about. If we're not careful, folks, we can get stuck in any kind of a mindset. And somehow or another, we're think, we think we're still being productive for Jesus. God has really been speaking my heart since the Sunday I preached the spirit of infirmity that I'm beginning to realize that, that perhaps that spirit of infirmity has a hold of more people than I thought. I've done a lot of self-evaluation and soul-searching my own self. David said, search me, O God. And I've asked God to do that to me. Am I carrying something in my brain that 
and, and there's levels of infirmity. There's people that can be struck by something, and they can go on and, and, and function with life and never get over it because to them it's not that big of a deal, but it's still a spirit of infirmity. And they're never totally free. But then there's other people that the total opposite end of this, the spectrum, they're just bent over like the woman was in the book of Luke. That Jesus stood her up straight just because she has a spirit of infirmity. They're hurting. They've been hurt. They've been bruised. Bruised is internal bleeding. They're bleeding on the inside. You can't see it, but they know it. And this is what this material is all about, to help people be delivered from a spirit of infirmity. You know when Jesus stood up in Luke chapter 4 and said, the Lord has sent me to preach the gospel to the poor, da-da-da, he listed six things in Luke, I believe it's 4.18. He listed six things. Two of them have to do with the spirit of a man. What I'm teaching right now, two of the reasons out of six, one, what is that, one-third? Of the reason he came was to deal with our head. You know, we all worry about our soul going to hell and our bodies being free of cancer, but nobody ever thinks about the spirit. We're made of three parts, and that's biblical. Body, soul, spirit. And your spirit is your attitude. It's your perspective. It's your outlook. And if the devil can bombard your attitude and your outlook, you're not a dreamer anymore, and you get stuck, and you just spiral downward, and you're in this black hole somewhere that sometimes you wonder if God can even reach you. That's what I'm talking about tonight. So when you have these defects, these things that's happened to you, whether it's from your parents, a circumstance, or by choice, it doesn't matter. If you have that going on in your life, you take it to God. You write them down, you take it to God, and you be specific. And you say, God, you show me which, is, which one should I work with first. You show me, and then you empower me to do it, and I'll do it. And it might take a week, and it might take ten years, but it's worth the journey to be better. I told somebody today, I had lunch with somebody today, and I was very transparent, and they know me pretty well. But this has been a long journey for me. This didn't start overnight. When I was in my early 20s, I was a basket case on the inside, man. And to ever look ahead and see where to do what I'm doing right now was out of completely out of the question, but God made a dreamer out of me. And I started dreaming, but in order to be a dreamer, I had to change things that went on in my head. And I did it. And I did it without medication, and I did it without a psychiatrist and all that kind of stuff. I did it with the help of God. And there's enough people here tonight that knew me then that knows what I'm saying is true. So when you go a whole day and you didn't do whatever, 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 you weren't today what you were yesterday, whatever, what, you rejoice over that victory. You tell people about it. That person that you trust that I talked about a couple of Wednesday nights ago, you tell them, hey, man, I went all day Monday and I didn't fall off the wagon. I didn't rail on anybody. I wasn't judgmental all day Monday. I wasn't depressed all day Monday. I didn't feel lonely all day Monday. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you bring to God, when you have a victory, you celebrate that victory for that day because it will inspire you to do it again the next day. But if you fall off the wagon, you reset and you go on. You keep trying. You keep trying. Try, try again. When you people do New Year's resolutions, it's a joke. The statistics say they may last six to eight weeks and they revert right back to what they were doing. You know why? Because they don't change their mind. They don't change the way they think. They don't change their head. 
They have a desire, but it's not in their head. They don't change their brain to do it. They don't reprogram their brain. I hope you get the point. So Jesus didn't say, give us this year our yearly bread. He didn't say, give us this month. He said, give us this day our daily bread. God wants to give you enough strength to change for one day. One day. Not a year. Not even the rest of your life or eternity. He wants you to take it one day at a time so you will learn how to trust Him. Tis so sweet. To trust in Jesus. Somebody asked a question one time, and it's, it bears repeating. How in the world do you eat an whole elephant? You know how you do it? One bite at a time. Y'all got it? That makes sense? So you take this part of you that you want to be better. God, I want to start attending church more faithfully, and I want to be more faithful to my spouse. Hope that's not going on, but in case it is, I'll just go ahead and mention it. I want to be a better parent. I want to be whatever it is, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Bring it to God and he can empower you to start dreaming again that I can do this, can do it. Somebody said one time, and I thought this was kind of cute, by the yard, life is hard. By the inch, life's a cinch. It's on the screen in case y'all want to <clears throat> take a look. You didn't create your problems overnight. Your problems didn't come to you overnight, so don't try to conquer it overnight. Break it down into bite-sized pieces and work on it one day at a time with the help of God. Lord, just help me this day because I want to, and you fill in the blank. This will keep you from making rash vows. I promise to never do it again. If you do that, you're doomed to failure. God, I will never do this again. That's stupid. You don't know what you're going to do 20 years from now. Tell God today, just today, I'm not going to do this today. Everybody understand? One bite at a time. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, the Bible said, Jesus said, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So God wants you to take it one day at a time. That old song, who sang it one day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking from you. So as you're working through your problems, thank God every day for every victory, no matter how small they are. Okay? Number three, Focus on God's power, not willpower. Jeremiah 13, 23 says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leper change his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. You just can't change. Just change for the sake of changing. There has to be a reason and a motivation behind it. We already know that willpower isn't enough. We've all tried that. If willpower worked, we wouldn't be needing this Bible study tonight, would we? In fact, depending on your own strength, actually blocks your process, your success in your life. It does, because you never learn how to depend on God. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ, through Christ, through Christ, through Christ. That's why when you pray, you have to be specific and tell him what's on your mind. <clears throat> Number four is focus on what you want, not on what 
you don't want. So you want to take the half as the glass is half full approach? You want to take the positive approach? You want to speak of it as this is something I can do, God's helping me, so I'm going to tell God what I want. This is what I want you to help me with. God, or, or, or God, you speak to me. But focus on what you want. Don't go to God what you don't want. For example, God, that old coot that I've been married to for the past 48 years, would you strike them down by lightning tomorrow so I can finally be free? <clears throat> God ain't going to do that. We know that. God's not going to do that. Ask God for the positive things in your life, of the things that, that you want. Paul said, Philippians 4.8, this is an awesome, awesome, awesome verse. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Think on these things. Wherever there's virtue, anything that can motivate you to praise God, that's what you think on. You think on the positive, on what you want, what will accentuate your life. Not take away from your life, but what will add to your life. Whatever you focus on is what you move towards. Whatever you focus on is what dominates your life. Whatever your, has your attention has you. So not once in the Bible does God command you to resist temptation. He doesn't command that you do it. He says flee from it. But don't resist it. Why? Because whatever you resist will persist. And the harder you push against it, the harder it pushes back. The Bible says to resent the tempter, to, excuse me, resist the tempter, not the temptation. So instead of resisting, the Bible teaches refocusing. Don't just sit there and say, well, I don't want this anymore. Turn the mental channel of your mind to another station. This is the power of affirming the Word of God. Do you know there's over 7,000 promises in the Word of God made to man? They're made for you to claim saturate your mind with them so you can use them to counteract the negative thoughts the devil and other people throw at you all the time. Use those promises. Think on those things. Quote them in your mind. Quote it, quote it, quote it. Live it, live it, live it. Think it, think it, think it, no matter what's going on around you. It works. It absolutely works. So once you become a Christian, your identity is based on your relationship with God, not your character defect. Y'all understand that? You got to think different now. People say, man, I would just live for God if I could quit doing it. It's not based on that. Your relationship with God is based on God. Let's bring it to the marriage thing real quick. I see Paula Nixon at age 17 say, wow, that girl's beautiful, man. I want to marry her, but I can't because I'm da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's not going to win her to me. I have to go to her and tell her what I think about her and my compliments about her and my accolades about her and flirt with her and, and all of that kind of stuff. I'm very good at it, too. Anyway, uh, I mean, the rest is history. What can I say? But I was never going to win her or make her love me because I could only tell her what was wrong with me. And the same is true about you and your relationship with God. God's going to be a whole lot better to you when you start affirming things in your life that he does instead of reminding him all the time about how horrible you are and you can never quit sinning and you never quit this happening, you never do this. People live in a perpetual state of repentance and it's not the will of God. 
<clears throat> Number five, got to hurry. You focus on doing good. You focus on doing. Everybody participate in this little quiz. It's real, real, you know, get your mannequin expression off your face for just a second. Everybody participate. Focus on doing. Everyone say doing. That was pretty good. That was really nice. You hear kind of a room full of voices that shake yourself out of your sleepy Wednesday night stupor and say, doing. Look at your neighbor and say, doing. Look at your other neighbor and say, doing. Okay. Jonathan, I need to see you after church. I didn't see anyone sitting next to you in that aisle when you turned around and said, doing. <laughs> I got you guys sitting on the end, turned to your other neighbor, and you just looked out in the aisle and said, doing, and there wasn't a person there. But thank you for participation. Appreciate it. I give you lots of applause for participation. <clears throat> Focus on doing good, not feeling good. Buddy, feelings has shipwrecked more people. They've used to have huge impact on me, and from time to time they still do, I'll be honest. You have this wonderful family at your church and you love them to death and what have you and they come in and say, we're moving to Texas. I mean, you, it, feelings, it just, it overwhelms you and you hurt and, you know, God, why does this have to happen and, you know, can't they see it's not the will of God and, you know, whatever. And it hurts. Somebody wrote a song when I was a teenager. Feelings, oh, feelings. Feelings like I never knew you. Feelings like I'll never lose you. Anybody heard that? One, two, three. Okay, there they go. It's a pretty cool song, actually, but I don't promote secular music. I listened to it when I was a rebellious teenager. I've been forgiven. It's under the blood, so there you go. <clears throat> you focus on doing good, not feeling good. It's changing the way you think. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Walk in it. That's doing. You walk in it. You live it. You breathe it. You sleep it. You eat it. Everywhere you go, everything you do, you're in the Spirit of God. You're in the presence of God every time, all the time, everywhere. You walk in the Spirit. You don't feel it. Well, I just didn't feel God close to me today, so I just went on ahead and reverted back to what I've always been. It's a mental discipline, folks. You make up your mind. The renewing of your mind. When you cater to feelings, they'll always lead you astray. Let me finish the verse. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking is doing. Fulfilling the lust of the flesh is feeling. That's where it starts. You start lusting after things. It's a feeling. It's a desire. And then pretty soon, bam, you've, uh, you've gone too far. So if you do the right things... If you do the right things, your feelings will eventually catch up with you. I'll tell you what happened yesterday, I'm going to be honest. Sister Murph and I drove over to Lafayette to spend time with Marcus and Cassie. His birthday is tomorrow, so Monday was the only time they had available. We had available, so we drove over, stayed the night with them, and then um, uh, got up Tuesday morning and went and ate breakfast. And um, actually, it was a little closer to lunch, and it, it bailed me out. <clears throat> and it wasn't Mexican this time. But anyway, a pastor's wife walked in. 
Now, I know Pentecostal people. I just do. This is why I like to love to teach this material. Because there are some ways that I want us to be Pentecostals, and there's other ways I don't want us to be Pentecostals. And this is one of them. You walk in a restaurant, there's a person sitting behind the counter to show you to a table, and you walk in like this. And they say, how many? And you go. And they take you to a table. Terrified that I'm going to see someone in there that I know. That's the way I feel about it. They do it at Walmart. I can see a Pentecostal looking at something on the shelf at Walmart, and if they see me coming, it's like trying to, Pentecostals oftentimes are like trying to put the two wrong ends of a magnet together, and they just push against each other. So I experience this all the time. I walked by a lady not too long ago. Uh, just had that little vibe that she was probably Pentecostal. She wouldn't make eye contact with me for nothing on this. Uh, hey! Like I was doing a hayride. Hey! Still didn't look. It's amazing. Anyway, we got through eating. I knew the pastor's wife was in there. I know them very well, and I've known them for years. But they think we're the C word. Loose as a goose and what have you. So they don't talk to us too much. They should talk to me and try to help me get back where I need to be with God. If that's what they think about me. I'm getting way off in the weeds right now, but so be it. I walked outside the restaurant. We paid and walked out. And I looked at Sister Murph and Marcus and Gas. I said, I'll be right back. Walked over. And she had her back to the restaurant. She's going to make sure nobody sees me and I don't see anybody. I walked up behind her. How you doing, sis? Oh, and then all of a sudden, it's almost that bad. But then all of a sudden, she looked up and, oh, hi, and da-da-da-da-da. I'll pray for you, sis. I'll, but I could not walk away from that restaurant without doing the right thing. And I didn't do that to have a nice little illustration for tonight. Some of you have been with me that I'll walk over to tables and I'll talk to people. I know they're uncomfortable and I don't know. But I'm determined in every way that I can. And I do it at home and I do it everywhere I go. I'm going to do the right thing whether I feel it or not. Everybody understand that? So practice there's things you want to change in your life, practice it. Practice the change and see if you don't like it more. i gotta, got to hurry. Okay. It's easier to act your way into a feeling. It's easier to act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into an action. There's things you want to change about yourself, you ain't going to never feel like it. Trust me. Been there, done that. If you're waiting to feel like it, it'll never happen. But you start doing it, and the feelings will follow. Next is you focus on people who help you, not hinder you. 
You know the old saying that fellows stand on the side of the bridge are going to jump off, and his buddy came along and said, let's go around the block and talk about it, and they both came back and jumped off the bridge? You don't want to hang out with people like that. You don't have to be rude. But, buddy, if every time I go to lunch with you, i got to spend three hours at my therapist's office tomorrow, I'm going to start limiting how often I go to lunch with you, man. I'm sorry. I love hanging out with people. I love hanging out with people that make me stretch, that make me think, that challenge me. I love hanging out with people happier than me. I'm still waiting for it to work, but I still enjoy it. That's one reason I love having Brother Holland here. His ministry is phenomenal, but the man is like a ping-pong ball in a porcelain tile bathroom. He's everywhere. He's all over the place. It just makes me feel good, man, to hang around people that are <laughs> all the time. And if you hang out with Sister Depressed and Brother Lonely and, you know, Brother and Sister Gloom and Doom and, you know, they spend their most of their day at least twice a week at Ravenhorst staring at their favorite casket. I ain't got time. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm just, you focus on people who help you. Listen to the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, be not deceived. Don't be delusional. Get your head out of the sand and listen. Evil communication corrupts good manners. If you hang out with Sister Negative and Brother Gloom and Doom long enough, you're going to be just like them because a human spirit oftentimes caters to that. I'm not promoting you be rude and evil to people. I'm not saying that. But if you want to be a better person, hang out with people that's going to challenge you to be better. Not people that's going to drag you under the water until you drown. If you don't want to get stung, stay away from the bees. That is profound wisdom right there, buddy. I've heard people say, man, every time I get around so-and-so, I just, I, I just feel bad when I leave. I've heard people say that. Well, quit going around them. But it's my mama. We'll start writing her letters or something. I don't know what to tell you to do in that case. But <clears throat> All right, let me hurry. Right, this is the last point. Focus on progress, not perfection. Man, I almost did it today. Made it to the last five minutes. I just couldn't hold on anymore. You know, I, was, I felt really good today, but, it, it, you know, it... it at 9 o'clock, right before I went to bed, I got real depressed. Well, you, you, you ain't going to be perfect. It's not going to happen that way. You're going to mess up. We all mess up. We all make mistakes, and we all fall off the wagon. But you don't stay there. So you want to focus on progress, not perfection. The Bible said in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. So it started. started. But he's still working on it still working on it recovery is a decision that's followed by a process recovery is a decision that's followed by a process so some of you may be thinking that god will only love you once you get to a certain stage and once you conquer a certain problem and that's wrong that's it's not what the bible teaches god loves you at each stage of your spiritual growth if that wasn't true, he'd have never saved you to begin with. All right.
So notice the screen. God will never love you any more than he does right now. But neither will God love you any less than he does right now. And that is right, Brother Phil. Thank you, Jesus. Wise and loving parents enjoy their children at each stage of their development. You enjoy all of them. I did. Well, except for a 13-year-old teenager. But, you know, there's a little trying sometimes. But, but wise and loving parents enjoy their children. So does God. He enjoys you at every stage of your development. And he wants to see you progress and rejoice over every victory he brings to your life. So he loves you when you're right. He loves you when you're wrong. He loves you when you're weak, and he loves you when you're. He'll never, ever change. He's every day the same, for God is God, and God is love. Aren't you thankful for that? Thank the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. I'm, again, thankful, and God, you know my heart that these words are true for this wonderful, wonderful church, great group of people that love you. And God, we all have those things about us that we wish could be better. Well, tonight you're challenging us to be better, that you're going to help us. You're going to empower us to be better, not for us, but for the kingdom. And as a byproduct of that, we'll be happy with the change. I pray tonight, God, that everybody here would just take a hold of these studies, apply them, work them into their life, into the way they think, into the way they live, let the will of God prevail. Let the purpose of God prevail. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen.